guess this is like a, a different thing now, but um, it is yeah. and it isn't, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I'm glad. I'm glad we are. Uh, it was like really haunting me. Um, every now and again, I would like remember your email and be like, "Oh fuck, I need to like um, get on top of that." So I'm glad we're doing this. Absolutely, man. I'm glad that we're able to connect here for sure. Um, you were one of the first people I wanted to reach out to when we started the new podcast uh, to get back on. And so, yeah, definitely glad that you're here and appreciate your time. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's a pleasure. I, I've really had fun um, uh, last time we spoke. I think that was like, you know, it, I don't know. It was one I distinctly remember having a, having like a good time on. Yeah, yeah man, it was I remember. Fu- it was, it's funny because that was one of my, not to cut you off there, buddy, but that was like, that's one of my go-to favorite episodes of the last, of the last project. Oh, really? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever people would be like, "Hey, what do you, uh, what do you recommend?" Which is funny because it's hard to recommend like anything because I feel like podcasts are so like disposable, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, they can yeah. be a lot of the time, you know. It's like so current events, but yeah, uh, yeah. That was kind of one of my go tos. Oh yeah, well, that's that's really flowering. I'm uh, I'm glad that it's uh, it's a it's a well liked episode. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I at least hope so. Yeah, but um. But yeah, man, I mean, fucking, God, I think that was, God, that must have been at least two years ago now. Yeah, yeah. it's a while. I can't, I can't believe how long it's been. Like, it's, I, I'm in some kind of psychological denial about how long I've spent on Twitter, because <laughs> to real. me, it's, it still feels like two years or something, you know, and it, it, like, who knows how long it's been now. God, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think I remember seeing you on there. I mean, not to make you feel worse, but I feel like I remember <laughs> seeing you on there probably like five years ago. I mean, all of us basically. Yeah, I think we all kind of got on roughly around the same time. Mm-hmm. I um, I started this account during the pandemic. Okay, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if my maths. Is, it's about uh, three years, three and a half years ago now. Yeah, something Just, like that, right? I, I overshot a little bit there. Yeah, yeah. But I understand though, because like this, our sense of time is so well. Mine is anyway. It's like so kind of um, like amorphous, mm-hmm. and <laughs> yeah. it's horrible. It's horrible. I mean, yeah. I feel like nobody wants to acknowledge that. As a quick side note, this is totally boring. But Coh, am I sounding okay? My my, you're fucking... still coming in a little hot. I mean, I don't think you're. I don't. It's think you're funny. I feel anymore. like such an asshole because like my my um my microphone is like a foot away from my fucking head i just talk too loud or something how am <laughs> i fine, how man. am i sounding you're good you're good you're all right yeah you're sounding totally fine i think you're gonna be fine slash how, yeah okay so this is close i want to is this louder That's yeah well, okay. yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right all right dude new project new project <laughs> um Okay, anyways, I'm just going to talk to my mic across the fucking room, which basically defeats the purpose of having a nice microphone, but whatever. Um, God damn it, what was I even saying? Oh, no. Time. The, 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 yeah, no, the COVID time warp has made us all into like, it's it's like, it's like asking a, a, a woman how old she is, you know, like none <laughs> of us really want to acknowledge the time that has <laughs> passed at this point, I feel like, but um, yeah, it's. It's fucking crazy. I I feel like I'm one of the one of the cases where I think I I generally made pretty good use of the time and, and pushed my life forward generally, but um, but it's uh that's that's not, definitely not the case for for a lot of people. I think I think uh, when it started, I, it was really great. For, like I mean, in terms of how I was using the time, mm-hmm. um, and then there were ups and downs. I probably could have done a better job, you know, if I could do it all over again which i did not want to do <laughs> oh, no. um but 
Uh, it could have been a lot, like, in, just in terms of, like, how I spent my time, it could have been a lot worse, but it also could have been a lot better. That's, yeah, you that's probably are. the average person's uh, assessment. You bake a lot of sourdough and such like that? <laughs> my dad's been baking a lot of sourdough, but uh, I, I, I haven't figured out the sourdough. Oh, that was a big trend there at the beginning of COVID, man. Yeah, I remember was... all those little things. Uh, we, we made, like, uh... We, we did some puzzling. We put together some oh, puzzles. Yeah. We uh, watched a lot of movies together, like me and the family and stuff. Um, I started exercising a bit more. You know, I read a lot. Nice. It was, yeah. It was, you know, it's just like it was just hard in the winter. The winter months were the, were the worst, I think. Oh, yeah, man. It's you like know? you're locked inside. Can't really go out. It's like you can't go out socially, but then you also don't want to go outside because it's so cold. Like, to get the yeah. reprieve you can get from being inside all day so you just feel kind of trapped there's a real cabin fever kind of feeling to totally. uh, the whole covid experience yeah yeah i remember in the beginning kind of being gleeful because it felt like um it felt like a free pass to kind of just continue uh, yeah like an extended adolescence and just be like i can i can just kind of like uh have a sick day uh where i stay home from from work mm-hmm. uh but for but for indefinitely um and then i think i think that was actually really helpful definitely uh, and just I think, in, go, oh, go ahead i think uh, everyone kind of needs that like i think we're pushed to the brink kind of in normal um interactions in normal society like with work uh, the 40-hour work week or more if you're you know trying to really make ends meet and with all the just kind of things that modernity puts on us like the deluge and all the overstimulation i think a lot of people just need a breakup for a little while. And I think that that's kind of what it felt like at first, like a positive mm. outlook on it. it was like, Oh yeah, dude, I'm getting two weeks off work, two weeks to flatten the curve. Uh, it's going to flatten out and then I'm going to come back. I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get paid for the time I was gone. And it's just kind of like a nice reset. Um, I mean, obviously it didn't turn out that way and it ended up being much, much longer and then kind of a whole dark thing. But I think it was, I kind of welcomed it initially and then after it settled into it and it looked like this is really going to be a whole fucking thing, uh, I kind of tried to use it a little bit as like a reset, like a, a great reset, if you will, in my own personal <laughs> life uh, where I was like, you know, I, I was I lost my job because it closed down because of the extended COVID break and stuff. And so it was like a time where I was forced to kind of reevaluate some things. Um, and I think that was that was healthy for me personally. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I feel like just kind of like seeing it through to seeing how much I could act I, maxing out on the free time, I think was just like, oh, OK, yeah, this just isn't what I want to do. Yeah, um, well, I think in the early days, at least in the UK, there was a bit of like this excitement where it felt like we were having a kind of like a, a bit of a sense of what it would have been like during World War Two or something, right? Where it's like, mm, oh, uh, there's this kind of global emergency and we can all yeah. like come together and sort of do our bit. And that actually felt really nice. And th- I think that there was a general kind of like public goodwill. Mm-hmm. And then like, you know, six months later, at least in my case, all of that goodwill had been like completely evaporated because of just this like, you know, uh, like horrible, like nudge management, like approach to trying to influence people's behavior and just yeah. the constant like media churn of which, you know, I've, I've gone on about before of like, just like this, these kind of like discontinuous 
like quote unquote scientific news stories with updates, but they there was no sense of like you know historical knowledge building on you know building across time. It was like each new piece of information would just overwrite the previous, like it yeah. had never happened. Yeah. Um, and I think that like really, it it like you know I I don't think that like the default person's attitude towards a kind of international emergency or like a global emergency like this that requires some some kind of like temporary you know sacrifice of like of uh like you know individual freedom or whatever you know in the sense of like going to the 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 pub or whatever like i don't think that you know people are innately hostile towards that kind of thing if they have a if they have like an investment in it and they have a a kind of confidence and an assurance that they're not going to be fucked around, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Because then they're like, you know, that's like when people are actually functioning as a society, when we're capable of like determining to make these choices and go along with them for ourselves. But I just think the whole thing was so like, um, uh, the whole, like this kind of the rise of this, like, cultural construction of like expertise is it's just like inherently structurally alienating Mm -hmm. so there is just no there is just no goodwill because there's just this intense like you can feel the the kind of like seething contempt and resentment Mm -hmm. that the people who are the kind of like you know public face of that like that sort of expert class, you can see how much like contempt they hold the average person yeah. in, you know? Um, and they're just, they're like oblivious to it. So it's just kind of like, well, you know, why should anybody respect what you have to say or do anything that you want them to do when, well, you know, like, yeah, it's just, there's no two way. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because like that, I feel like that's kind of one of the normie, one of the normie takes is just kind of like, Oh, we all thought, you know, we all thought maybe we could have someone where, you know, it would be a test and see if we could all be in it together on something. And we all know how that went. And, and like, I 100% agree with you. Where like, I think that, especially in the beginning, because it's one of these things where people forget that like in the beginning, um, the sides were kind of completely switched. Yeah. Right? Um, the, the sides were completely switched. And then there was like a little overlap time there where like everyone kind of was in agreement, mm-hmm. right? And it, it's totally a white pill because I think that it's it's two things. Like I think that people totally have a really strong instinct for like civic responsibility. And I mean, that's how I'm going to put it, like civic responsibility. And sure. then also just like everyone's so fucking hungry for just like a meta narrative, like something, you know, you, you compared it to like World War II, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like something that actually fucking a punctuation mark in history that makes us feel like we're fucking somewhere and we're doing something. And yeah, there's yeah, chapters I mean, like specifically the Blitz, because the Blitz, the way yes. the Blitz is like taught to like, you know, British kids is as this kind of um, moment of like, you know, community cohesiveness in the face of a kind of national threat. Mm. You know, so I mean, I don't, I don't know the extent to which that's been like, you know, it probably has been like exaggerated a little bit or like mythologized. I can't really say because I wasn't, wasn't there, but, right? <laughs> but, uh, but like, you know, that was, I think that that there was this idea that that would be the kind of template for the situation, right? 
Yeah. Um, but I just I think that when you know you're actually faced with a, the, this kind of serious thing, there is just this nat- natural kind of like um, all the bullshit of everyday life kind of falls away, and you're like, okay, like I need to like focus on you know my uh, family's well being or whatever. You know, I need right. to go. So they're just like you know it lends a bit of excitement to like going and buying some tinned food or something. Right. Cause you feel yeah. like you're creating a nice little stockpile. I don't know. Like, I think that they're really sort of people got a taste of, um, a sort of level of responsibility, you know, that, uh, I, I, I remember right in the beginning, I like, I kind of had this point in it where I was like, this like needs to be like a shifting point in my life you know yeah yeah totally i like did that and i was like and i and i remember like talking to like my now fiance about it and and just being like you know one of the worst possible things that can come from this is if shit just like continues on like normal Mm -hmm. right um and that's like kind of exactly what happened in all the worst ways at least um but you know, I, I think that there there were like a lot of opportunities and a lot of people that like did do good shit. Like, like I'm not saying this to fucking jerk myself off about it by any measure or anything, but like I like you know went and like ran errands for my like elderly neighbors and, and shit like that, right? Yeah, and it's just like that's nice. It's like rewarding, you know? Like, no, exactly. Like it's a yeah. it's a reward in itself, right? And yeah, um, yeah I, I don't know. It's 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 just interesting. I think that um, I think that people are are raw are are robbing themselves of like a positive look on things when they, when they look at COVID as like this, uh, it, it was, it was proof of a failure in our, like in our um, civic instincts, as opposed to like, no, it's like a failure in like the system's ability well, to create consensus now. Yeah. Or to capitalize in a positive way on those civic instincts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's also just like, you know, I don't, the kind of people who, um, like make those complaints about other people to me do not seem, you know, I mean, I don't know what, whatever the fuck they may have been doing. Um, you know, if they were going and like delivering, uh, shopping for their elderly neighbors or whatever, uh, like you were, then that's, you know, that's like pretty unimpeachable, but just as in terms of like expressing a kind of, um, like a, a sort of civic sentiment, I don't think of those people as like um having any sense of like social solidarity with anybody else like i just feel like they are interested in appearing like superior and they kind of appoint themselves to this like role of like a kind of uh you know overseer or (laughs) or something like that right and it's just like you know fuck off like again all of this stuff it just has to be built on a kind of foundation of like mutual respect mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and like and a lot of the, those people have these ideas of like that you know there are just these various d- dimensions of modern life that are basically disposable and you can just kind of jettison them you know uh like well past the point at which i think that was you know ever necessary and it's just like oh yeah do you really need to go to a bar or do you need to go to a restaurant or something like that it's like Actually, I do think that people fucking need to go to a bar sometime. Like, people need to go to the pub, you know? Right. People need those need that, like, social space. Uh, or, you know, like, these things aren't, like, disposable and unimportant. They're actually important, right. like, dimensions of social and, like, civic life, you know? Yeah, well, and you uh, can maybe uh, even have a critique of, like, people 
um, you could say that it's not that necessary. It's more important to work together to fight this, you know, spread of COVID or whatever. But you could also do it from an ingenuous way um, of saying like, yeah, I know this is important, actually. It's good to socialize. People need public spaces to socialize, etc. And not just discount the whole time like, oh, you're stupid for wanting to go and see other people. Um, you're stupid for not wanting to do this. You're just a bad person because you want to go to the bar after four months of being in your house alone. Like they didn't have to have that um, that disingenuous kind of approach that you're talking about where it's like, you know, not actually built on mutual respect. They could have maybe even framed it in a more positive way towards their ends um, by respecting the fact that these things are important for social well-being and for individuals. Well, and that's, and that's one of the, the interesting things too, I think is I, like COH and I have talked about this a pretty decent amount, but like the, the, the obsession that people have with like mental health while simultaneously just always reducing it down to just chemical components mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, like uh, uh, the side, the side that's that's constantly the most uh, the most um, sensitive to, you know, d- depression and, and you need to get help seeking seeking the help you need and everything. It's always just market mediated shit. It's always it's always uh, lowering stigma for taking a fucking drug or something, mm-hmm. and and then they're calling you a chud for like you know. Yeah, well, wanting no, to go to church or go to a fucking restaurant. It's just, it's just like a, uh, you know, like a therapeutic ideology that everybody has. Uh, you know, like just the average metropolitan, um, kind of mm-hmm. like, uh, yeah, I don't know, like middle class metropolitan individual who like participates in like popular culture and popular discourse. That's just like the stuff that's around, like in in terms of you know, like mass media and all the kind of sentiments that we encounter every day. Um, and it's just this like, you know, I, I think it's, it, we, we were just like really heavily saturated with it, especially like during the late uh, 2010s. <laughs> so it, it really is just kind of like the dominant overarching conceptualization of like how to deal with emotions how to deal with difficult times how how like the mind works and how emotions work and how all these things fit together um it, 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 and it just rests on all these kind of like i don't know all these sort of assumptions about how these things will fit together that i, <laughs> I just don't think are necessarily true no they're not um and you know often it's just like you know, you will see people talking about like their mental health issues or whatever, but it's kind of, you can kind of see, it's like, well, there may be, you know, it what's actually going on here. Isn't really what you're describing. Right. No, 100% people, people people want to talk about it. Like it's a, like it's a broken carburetor in their car (laughs) or something, you know? And it's like, it's this very like, and I, and I get it to a certain extent of like, I think people, like to okay it's like on on one hand they they oversimplify it by liking to have just this man this literal manual that you can flip open Mm. and be like okay this is this on page 45 that page 45 explains just my entire condition uh right and just and just what is wrong with my life um and that and that kind of oversimplifies it and then kind of in an ironic flip a lot of the time like it 
the the problem and the solution is simpler than they always insist, right? Because it isn't it doesn't need to just be this like really opaque. Um, you know, we you were talking about like uh, expert. Uh, you know, just even having just reality mediated by experts for you, right? Mm-hmm. You don't you don't need a licensed professional. That's a thing that I constantly hear when people talk about therapy. Is they say like talking to a licensed professional. Yeah. <laughs> professional. That's like that's just because like you know it, that's almost like a rhetorical thing when you, mm-hmm. if you're like trying to own somebody, right? Then there's yeah. a certain. I know this because I also abuse it because uh, like there's you, you can kind of figure out if you're trying to like dunk on somebody and be like rhetorically impressive to add a bit of sting to it, mm-hmm. then you can like th- throwing in a few extra unnecessary syllables is like a good way to add a kind of like wry sarcastic, uh, <laughs> you know, like effect to it. Right. Yeah. So like this is this kind of thing of being like, you know, like these, these sort of phrases that people refer to, like, Oh, you need to go and see a licensed professional, you know, like, <laughs> It's yeah. kind of um, like, but the the problem is though, as with all, all things like that, if people say them enough, then they just kind of seep in and they become like they become actually you know men. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Well, that's that's um, all of this stuff. That's all this stuff, right? Because I think like it's it's bit by bit by bit by bit to where you've o- over the course of enough years you've 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 departed so far from where you started. Um, and it's, it's not that any of this stuff really has like a lot of like merit on its own. It's just that there's just so much fucking repetition. Right? Well, it's just mm-hmm. the, the thing that I've been thinking about recently, right? It's just that mm-hmm. like, um, there is just such a lack of, of like conceptual literacy regarding so many things like, <laughs> yeah. like science, for example, or, or like mental health is another really, really good example. Mm-hmm. And I, what I mean by conceptual literacy is just like understanding, like people don't understand that mental illnesses are like conceptual objects, mm-hmm. you know, they're not like, they're not like real things. They are like terms that gather together and collect yeah. like real phenomena so that can be studied and examined. And it's like that act of gathering is what brings those things together so they can be studied together. And then the process of doing that allows us to refine the, the, you know, what we're gathering under that term, or we might like alter the term itself to reflect new things we've learned or whatever. Right. So I was just like having this argument recently, um, you know, uh, about, about like gender shit, which is like why I'm always arguing about people <laughs> with, but you know, it just like comes up that like, uh, you know, people are saying to me like, Oh, do you not think that autism is real? you know, or like, do you not think that ADHD is real? And it's like, well, I I understand what, like, that they are words which refer to a real phenomenon. (laughs) It's like, also, there's also like a social history of how these terms have developed and how they like interact with that phenomena as like part of our process of trying to understand and address it. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, but it's like, but, but like, I feel like the average this is what I mean by like conceptual literacy is like the, that, like these things are like thrown around w- within like popular discourse and no one makes these <laughs> distinctions ever. Mm-hmm. And it, and like smart people, I genuinely do think that like, you know, there are people who are genuinely smart, but they're like thinking is kind of constrained yep. by like the fact that these distinctions aren't made and it yep. like drives them into these kind of cul-de-sacs and they're like, they can't kind of think outside the box because 
what they, they believe they're dealing with concretes, you know, they, they believe they're dealing with like concrete things. So as long as you believe that you're inherently like pointed in the wrong direction. Um, well, people, people like, it's like people are acting like there's like a, there's like a lab somewhere with test tubes, like contain fear, mental illness. No, 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 exactly. Exactly. Like, like there's a test tube, um, you know, with like, with like distilled autism, in it. <laughs> you know, like a, a two liter, a two, a, a two liter of Mountain Dew. They isolated um, the atom. They're like, this is the atom of autism. Well, and it's interesting because like, because there's kind of a, there's kind of a literal <laughs> example of this a little bit, which was, um, uh, like the serotonin theory of depression, uh-huh. right? Um, and, you know, that shit gets completely blown out of the water because obviously this stuff is... Well, anyways, I don't even want to get too specific about it, but but it's hilarious. And one of the big... I think one of the big problems people have, and I don't, I'm not even saying this to invalidate anything necessarily, but just to your point, like... like uh, psychology isn't like a hard science right yeah and like none of this none of i'll I'll tell you another thing which is like so i got like you know friend of mine he's quite a bit younger than me he's a good friend of mine he got this kind of like uh diagnosis um and uh that basically kind of like reflects these sort of patterns of behavior that he's exuding right and it's like uh you know i care about him a lot um but I worry about him being kind of exploited by this sort of, like, I don't know, this kind of, like, mental health ideology, because yes. I feel like that he is receiving kind of poor guidance mm-hmm. with regard to how the world is supposed to treat him as a person who now identifies as having, like, diagnosis X. Yeah. You know? 100%. Because, because like, uh, you know, he says this stuff like, oh, like, um this is like a physical thing in my brain that I can't help yes. this my kind of God. thing. And it, and it's like, you know, so it creates all, a direct identification with the, with the issues that they're experiencing. And so then they can't cleave themselves from them at all. First of all, it, it's like, you can, you, can, you, you, you can always exert some kind of responsibility over the situation right mm-hmm. and it's like fine you may notice yourself falling into these patterns of behavior that i'm not saying that that's not like a challenge or whatever like first things first though that this diagnosis again it's not like he hasn't received a brain scan you know that's like revealed irrevocably that this particular physical you know like quirk exists in his mind right, right. Mm-hmm. He's just been given this diagnosis, which and that diagnosis obviously just refers to a collection of patterns of symptoms, you know, and it's like, but the other thing is, you know, that uh, he's he had some like trouble at work, and they basically, uh, well, it, it wasn't his his like full time job; it was just like a side thing. I don't want to reveal too much about it, but like, um, you know, he was like kicked off this part-time thing and they were like saying to him like oh you know we're just worried about we just don't think you're in the right place mentally for this kind of thing right now you know and it's like what i said to him later was like you have to understand that anything that removes responsibility from you removes responsibility from them for getting rid of Mm. you you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and like i think young people are like you know kind of being encouraged to believe that they if they kind of like identify as one of these things 
then it's like this sort of um it's it's part of this like system of licensing yeah right it's like credentials I, yeah it, it literally is a form of like credentialism yeah. like you have this is the thing about like the kind of like like ideological structure of our times right is it's so like heavily dependent on these ideas of like expertise credentials licensing i mean even i'm this is probably well-trodden subject matter for all of us now but like even like extends into like identity politics right because like the premise of identity politics is like that the minority is like the expert on his or her situation Mm -hmm. right it's viewpoint stuff yeah, and it's it's structured in exactly the same like relationship of authority, you know, where you have like an expert class who you need to listen to, and it's like problematic if you do your own research, all of this kind of stuff. Well, it's interesting. It's interesting um, on two fronts, which is this. This ties a lot into a discussion that Coh and I had last week about like um, like the Civil Rights Act and just like the idea. I mean, obviously, you're not in the the U.S., but like. Um, like I'm sure it's probably not that different. Um, you know, if you, if you have like, uh, like the, the workplace thing, it's a perfect example, right? Um, if you get this diagnosis, you, you get to become a member of like a legally protected class. Right. And that's, that's a humongous thing. And it also creates kind of an incentive to do that. Right. Because then you get to kind of have you, you, there's an incentive. I don't really need to, you know, explain that. Right. Um, and then the, um, the, the other aspect of it, which I'm of course fucking just like have the, the gerbil in my, my brain is dying right now and I can't even think of it. Um, Oh no, it's also just, it's also just, um, like, you know, when you're talking about credentialing and everything like that, like, you know, that person gets fired from that job. Right. And they, they word their firing them in the particular language they do. In my mind, I immediately think for liability reasons. And then second, you know, because, you know, he can't ever, he or she, whatever, can't ever be, you know, exposed to like failings, their own personal failings in ways in which they can, they can grow and things like that. And, and these like, these like identity categories you're talking about are like a way of like inventing value for the individual, right? Like I have, I have this value in in this way, as opposed to like, you know, religious communities can just say like, you were created by God, you have value, God loves you. That's your value, right? Instead of, you know, instead of this credentialing thing where you're like, I'm, I'm, um, yeah, but it doesn't. The, the problem is though, that it doesn't actually make anybody like feel good, and it and it like no, it doesn't. What it does is it kind of creates like affordances for people. But the the other side of it, it gives though, people I, justification, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But then the other side of it as well is that like you know the other side of it that I think is exploitative is also that just in the like the the like texture of real public life, right, which is not like something that is as kind of ideally smoothed out as these kinds of like, I don't know, like therapeutic worldviews would like to imagine, mm-hmm. um, you know, there are going to be like social consequences for identify, like introducing yourself to somebody um, as having some kind of like diagnosis or whatever. And, you know, I, like maybe that's, that's wrong. Um, but at the same time, you know, 
Uh, and this uh, this isn't my friend's example, but like you know, if somebody um, is like schizophrenic or something. I think it's perfectly reasonable for other people to kind of factor that into their <laughs> yeah, you know, interactions with the person or whatever, right? So yeah. it's like it's I don't think it's reason it's like reasonable to to like place this demand demand on people in society to like <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and, and it's also just not realistic like people always will all these things will always affect how people treat you you know right. and so it's like there are these like specific spheres or spaces that are like under those particular social rules right and they exist within a certain like class strata they exist within mm-hmm. the sort of like work culture of certain spaces you know Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also they exist within the sort of like interpersonal culture of certain friend groups, I guess, who are like, you know, like have a particular subculture or whatever. Right. right. But it's like, um, you know, you know, I see this thing as well when people are like, you know, there's this like idea of, um, I mean, this is like opening a whole other can of worms. Right. But like, just to get, like simplify the scenario down. Right. Some man opens up emotionally in a way that ends up being kind of deflating and unattractive to his girlfriend, which does happen, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, she is, like, turned off by it. And then, you know, he's upset. And the, like, response he gets from, you know, the sort of, like, uh, positive masculinity guru people is like oh well she was doing toxic femininity you should just like dump her and go and meet somebody else whatever it's like completely you know it's absurd it's like completely Mm -hmm. unrealistic it's not Mm -hmm. addressed to anybody's like real life right because in real life like relationships are complex and people are less than ideal and you don't get to pick and choose you know it's not that simple you just go oh well you've said this problematic thing i'm gonna like you know I'm just going to go and select another girlfriend from the girlfriend store or something like that. That's just not the way life works. You have to like meet people halfway with their like, you know, unideal responses to things sometimes. Mm -hmm. And the other side of it is like, well, you know, maybe she has good reasons for feeling that way. You know, if she's like looking towards you as like a provider of stability and a provider of, you know, of, uh, of, kind of an emotional neutrality that makes her Mm -hmm. feel safe and comfortable right then maybe that's why she was responding that way so if you have like empathy for her you kind of understand that she's not like it's not like something where she's internalized like uh stereotypes about male how men should behave or something you know and it's like yeah maybe she didn't express those things in the ideal way or whatever but it's just like that's that's life you know Mm -hmm. Like, I just think, like, the people who ultimately suffer from being given this bad advice, it's like the fucking, you know, this is the thing that's really, like, I am I guess this is my, like, arc at the moment, right? Is, uh, because I, I get, what I get pissed off by is, like, platitudes, mm-hmm. you know? And I think this, these are things that come from, like, older people who aren't really having to, like, deal with these kind of dilemmas firsthand or whatever, yes. but they just kind of sound, like, nice. I think it it's a product of a certain class of people's ideology. Um, and I think that that ideology is then kind of worked out via, you know, graduate classrooms, et cetera, into broader media structures, uh, into the therapist yeah. office, et cetera. And yeah, then yeah. people consume that media who are maybe not a part of that strata, 
um, but they take that to be the reality that they are dealing with as well. And so they think, oh, well, if I go and get a diagnosis of being, you know, autistic or whatever, I'm going to gain these credentials in this, you know, social circle, but they don't actually belong in that social circle. And they're dealing with a different set of reality than these people are generally. And so they're expecting to be able to walk up and be like, oh, well, here's my diagnosis. Nice to meet you. And then not get any consequence, not even consequence, but not have any um, that have no impact on the people around them. Like people are going to take that information in and they're going to use it to formulate their ideas about you. Um, and that's just how it is. And unless you're in a certain class or group of people that's kind of filtered out through media and stuff too into social circles, then if you're outside of that group and those circles, then it's not going to afford you that um, immunity that you're looking for or the credentialism that you're looking for by taking that that title or that diagnosis or that identity. Yeah, I mean, and then it becomes like this thing where like, you know, outside world is like hostile and that sort of that like licensing institution becomes the only source of safety because it yeah. like that's like the institution that provides you that means of recognition mm-hmm. you know and it's like yep. something that has tremendous power over people who for whatever reason don't feel confident about acquiring that social recognition elsewhere for other reasons mm-hmm. right well, it also beca- it also becomes like that. It reinforces itself in that kind of like you seek refuge in it because it instills like cognitive dissonance in people. Yes, right. And then and yeah. then like when you when you are confronted with the actual reality of the world, right? Um, you just the tools you've been given of how to react to that are like, oh, well, this 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 just isn't right. This doesn't this mm-hmm. doesn't you know this doesn't square up. And so then you'll just keep going back to therapy. And I mean, one of the things that just is so interesting to me about therapy in general is just like how it it's used as a tool of constructing truth, right? Mm-hmm, that's like definitely. how we, that's, I mean, even in our legal system, right? Like, you know, declaring someone insane and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and shit like that. And the stuff you're saying like about your, your buddy is really interesting to me because I'm, I'm having a similar thing going on right now where I've got a buddy who's going through a breakup, right? And it's yeah. not a particularly good one, right? And um, and he's talking to us, and it's funny because I'm running into the same thing you said. Of like, I don't want to, you know, I want to respect this person's boundaries, so I'll I'll talk vaguely, right? But sure, yeah, yeah. Um, he's not really uh maybe handling he's not really maybe um navigating the issue uh amazingly but you know who does when it's a difficult situation um but but he, you know he's talking to me and he's like oh yeah like you know I'm, I'm talking to somebody now i'm getting some help for it and and everything and, and something that just makes me really uneasy about this is that it's just like that's like like that's just a normal fucking part of a of a human life, right? Right. Like living through heartbreak. Yeah. And and talk to your friends about it, bro. Like, you know what I mean? Or your family. No, exactly. Like, like, uh, you know what I hire? Well, I actually literally don't even do this, but like if I had more money, (laughs) I would hire an expert to, you know, sort out my taxes. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, My taxes, I wouldn't say are like a, are like a natural human experience. Right. I don't need to hire a fucking professional to help me deal with like a broken heart. You know what I mean? Like, like I get like, 
those are, and I guess, and I guess like, and I don't necessarily, I don't want to go too bold. I want, I want to get a little more specific in it just in that, like, I wouldn't be as strongly opinionated on that if I didn't also view those experiences as like incredibly constructive for a person as an individual. That's what life's about, dude, is just having those different experiences and that's how you construct a life and like that's how you learn and you grow and you become the like a good person. Exactly. Exactly. It's like it's like the mental and emotional equivalent of just being like I'm out driving and I'm like, no, I don't want to use the navigation app because I want to like learn it myself a little bit and like have the path be my own. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. You know, it's like, I think, I think that like, you know, again, like therapy itself has kind of become this sort of, uh, you know, it's almost become like a kind of rhetorical thing or it's almost become like a shorthand for this, like, you know, therapeutic like worldview. Mm-hmm. or something which and i think that what characterizes that worldview it, it even isn't so much to do with like the value of therapy as a kind of discrete act although obviously it does give that tremendous importance but it's more about the way that it like evaluates things in terms of their ability like in terms of their kind of therapeutic value and that it becomes like the dominant way in which their their like social worth is um is kind of adjudicated so it's like, you know, the purpose of art becomes like therapeutic, for example, like does mm-hmm. it have enough like good representation where it make people like feel good about themselves, all of this kind of thing. Um, I think like, like, you know, like I've, when I was younger, I went to see like, uh, like various therapists and it, it wasn't like, it wasn't like neoliberal brainwashing or anything. It wasn't like super deep either. And there were like kind of shitty ones. Some of them were kind of nice or whatever. Right. Like something like CBT, um, you can make that sort of like the cognitive behavioral therapy thing. You can make that kind of standard like um, Marxist argument against it that it's like, you know, that not everything is like negative rumination or like, you know, not everything is like reducible to some kind of like bad thought pattern. Yeah. Mm Um, and that's like I think that's basically true like mm-hmm. it's not like this kind of magic bullet or whatever but it's also just kind of functionally helpful and it's not I don't yeah. see like CBT as necessarily this pernicious thing you know I, well, I, I don't... I, it's funny because I 100% just just a quick interjection I 100% agree like my my experience has basically been the exact same thing like went to a couple therapists growing up and yeah I, I wouldn't say that it was anything super crazy though I would add I think it can be um kind of like smoking weed or something i think it can be like a little bit hard to spot where it is where it can be bad and that's part of the problem yeah I, when I, I think that's probably true yeah yeah when i was like getting sober because i had like a drinking problem um i did cbt and that was like helpful right i mean like i think i think it's probably pretty neutral to like to just like explain to people good meditation habits and mm-hmm. like and ways to just like you know, I don't know, break, uh, thought patterns, you know, yeah. that's, it, it can be pretty, uh, I 100% get you. I didn't mean to interrupt there. I just, I, yeah, I was no, like, no, sure. But like, but then I think that what, what is like kind of like, un, like really deeply unpleasant is when it becomes this sort of social obligation yes. for your mental health or whatever. Like it becomes this other thing, this like, um, like, oh man, there's some really good essay that's all about this. Uh, I can't remember what it's, what it's called. I'll see if I can kind of get it up but basically it's about like this kind of construction of like the neoliberal identity as a bundle of skills right yes. uh, as mm-hmm. this like 
this is like what your identity is is a linkedin account just this ability to acquire (laughs) acquire skills but the way this like this translated into social life is that like you know it's not enough to just not be racist you have to become skilled at being anti-racist so that means you have to attend all these workshops or whatever it becomes like a kind of professional skill you have to acquire within Mm -hmm. a sort of expertise hierarchy um and you know it's like when you just see this kind of like social expectation like oh he's not in therapy like that's like the most disgusting uh you know that is really vile policing of somebody's like mental life Mm-hmm. Like, it's disgraceful. How can you say that to some... You know, I just think people have no idea how, like, cruel and insane they sound when they say things like this, to me at least. Yeah. Like... It's pretty, um, it's pretty, it's pretty wild. It, it's, it's definitely, it's like a high tier, uh, like, group sorting mechanism. Yeah. Um, for sure. Like, it's, it's the, it's the, like, you know, if you're not in therapy, then, like, I can probably guess the next 20 things about your opinions and, mm-hmm. and shit like that. Uh, I, I literally, I've literally seen a bunch of people's like resumes that list. I mean, they don't, they don't list like I'm in therapy or whatever, but like just the shit you're talking about of, of that, like, you know, people literally list on their fucking resumes, like anti-racist work. Holy shit. shit. Yeah. It's wild, dude. Yeah. I mean, it's part of, I mean, that was always, always my objection to all of that stuff from the very beginning has always been that it's like a, a kind of professionalization of something that should just be um like left to people's own innate sense of indignation which they have like most people have a sense of indignation that's kind of responsive to things going on in the world um and it's really like it's the professionalization of these good impulses involves kind of torturing them (laughs) you know, and abusing them. Um, and people, like, submit to it because they, like, naively believe in their, you know, in their, like, genuine, good, true, ethical impulse that it's, like, the right thing to do. Like, mm-hmm. it's... That, like, too, is another form of, like, exploitation, you know? Like, I mean, people, we really don't know. Like, the, people are being kind of exploited emotionally and psychologically on like a mass scale right Mm -hmm. that's like the kind of you know most important thing to understand about society and popular culture at the moment right like yeah positive um human characteristics of just being like a basic good human being are being like deterritorialized from the human and then re-territorialized into capital. And so like what's yes. happening essentially yeah. is this like professionalization of these individual traits. And when it's funny, we we're talking about therapy and therapists just a moment ago, that's a very stark example um, because like what Slav's example was of the breakup and going to a therapist, you should just go and talk to friends about that. And those types of conversations should be organic social things that come up in a good community uh, back and forth between individuals because that's part of the human experience. Wait, and, like, but that's COH, what but COH, us as you know, me as his friend. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a professional expert, <laughs> right? Right, of course. And so it's been like because of a combination of like people being pushed to the edge and alienated, and not having a lot of friends that they feel close to, or not a lot of friends in general, or this warped idea of what friendship is and stuff, and like what 
just basic human responsibility is it's been like kind of outsourced from people into capital. And so instead you have to go now pay and be a part of this like kind of market in order to just get those same social things that people should be getting from each other. Now it's like, you got to go and pay an individual therapist to, you know, get all that from them, or you got to go and like get training in anti-racism so you can put it on your bio or you can like offer it at your, you know, your place of business. I mean, they, you know, these like people, people like Robin D'Angelo explicitly say in their books that um, they think that racism should be demoralized or like amoralized, right? Like they see it as a non-moral thing. Like it's completely, everything they do is completely sort of um, procedural and like managerial. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, it isn't like that this is the kind of thing that like catches norm- normal people out when they encounter it for the first time because they correctly in my view um like ascribe moral value to these like states of being of course right and so that's like the source of cognitive dissonance for them when they're told like oh no you are racist <laughs> you know or whatever um and they they're like encouraged to basically like amputate this part of their like psychic self you know like this like the part of them that ascribes moral value to things like it's like a kind of dis- like d- grotesque form of like administrative surgery that they have to like go through to convert them into like a sort of professionalized anti-racist doing the work it's all doing the work right yeah um well that's uh, one of was... the funniest Oh, do you just... Uh, no, no, you go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're good. It, it's like, that's one of the funny things about, like, White Fragility, that, that D'Angelo Broad's book, right? Is, like, um, is, it's all, it's all about the negative reactions she's getting from people who, like, sh- who are specifically, like, forced to sit through, uh, like, seminars at work and be, like, accused of racism. And she uses that as, like, an example of the kind of you know just 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 this 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 forcing this on people um and kind of not not kind of understanding it's like it's like she's an alien it's like she's an alien and she just (laughs) doesn't actually understand like what a normal fucking human reaction would be to this which i guess kind of makes sense when you're talking about how like it's completely amoral in this view um when like obviously any well-adjusted person is not going to fucking look at it that way yeah that's tism that is tism. <laughs> That's female autism is, is that. Robin D'Angelo is well, there a female is, autist. There is a weirdly sociopathic emotional texture to the writings of people like Robin D'Angelo or other people. Um, and and you see this in other areas that I think have been kind of like captured by a, you know, or, or, or like... I don't know what the right term is, if there's basically a canon of accepted views that are are sort of regularized and adopted by everybody within the organization. And it's like this weird kind of, um, there's a weird undertone of like learned helplessness to it. Mm -hmm. There is like a weird, like lack of sort of, human liveliness that lets you know that a piece of writing is like animated by a a self mm-hmm. you know um there's like a lack of some sort of vital human quality yeah 
to it because it is just so like repetitive and it's actually a, a quality that i think just comes from the fact that like there is literally no you know consciousness within the text right like there's no it's almost like you know if, if you say something if you like speak a sentence then we sort of take for granted that you have a sort of internal subjective understanding of the words that you're saying mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but with the, with these like kind of um there's something so like mechanical about that sort of like regularization of discourse um where it just it sounds like it's like this human speech equivalent of like ticker tape or something you yeah. know it's just like being produced mechanically and the, the people saying it don't seem to give any indication of having any curiosity as to the meaning of what they're saying or how it like fits into a broader like social world of human mm -hmm. meaning you know <laughs> yeah it's just scaffolding like it's just like doesn't actually have any like yeah conscious real thought into it. it's just like scaffolding meant to contain like this like you know word policing kind of kind of structuring well it's kind of like i you also just see like there's this kind of classic image that just reoccurs now like on twitter or whatever where you'll just see like a classroom or something and it will just say like you know gender is um how you feel inside and sex <laughs> is what you're assigned at birth or whatever and it's just like no one has any idea like the people who write that on the board don't have any <laughs> idea what that like piece of quote-unquote knowledge is grounded in yeah <laughs> like they literally don't know like no one fucking knows yeah. it's just like this free floating repeatable bit of of like pseudo information mm -hmm. um and it doesn't even occur to them it's like this is what i mean when i say that like people are like not conceptually literate it's not it doesn't even like stand out to them as strange that this is just being asserted without any kind of, like, you know, grounding in anything, right? Or that that is absent. Like, that isn't, to me, like, is the, the same way that when people start talking about, like, the science or whatever, it's like there is a kind of, like, autistic weird thing in my brain that's, like, <laughs> when I read something like that, I'm like, oh, that term hasn't been clarified, like, this yeah. person isn't specifying what they mean by this blah, blah blah and it like it's almost like a kind of sensory discomfort on a very small level mm -hmm. because i'm just like that that's like a, you know i don't mean this in like a woke way or whatever but it's like that's like problematic you know yeah like, like something's not squaring up like there's it's just... not squaring up like but yeah, i just well... feel like people now just don't have any sense of that like they're just they're like oh yeah like these are like they're thinking with like these, these received terms they're all just given terms you know well that's also what i mean one of the problems that has caused that is just that like people aren't it's people aren't allowed to even have a personal intellectual relationship with these concepts because yeah. like if, if you ask too yeah. many questions then like that's a moral failing and like the mm -hmm the kind of crowd will just completely shit on you. And like, and you think about this with like, um, I think about this really often with like, you know, I'm, I'm out of the game. I'm like getting married. I'm good. I like found nice. a good one. Fucking. I don't have to, I don't have to impress anybody anymore. Right. Um, but if you're, a, if you're a young guy, right. I mean, your, your ability your, no, sorry, not your ability. Your like, your like need to like get uppity and have things make sense 
and to have like a personal relationship with ideas and thoughts is in direct conflict with your ability to like to 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 ensure that you won't fucking die alone. Oh right? well, I mean, like, if you if you were like a young man, um, like growing up through the two thousand tens, you basically had any sense of like intellectual curiosity, um, or feeling that you were owed an understanding, <laughs> like you know, you were owed the right to understand the views you were expected to hold. Yeah, um, that was just completely like crushed out of you <laughs> by like uh, just this kind of like total flooding of the social media environment with like you know anti-mansplaining like general anti-young male like anti-intellectual male curiosity all of this kind of stuff was just seen as like you know you're just like it it was basically you got the message that it was unwanted you know that it wouldn't be respected or treated or or ever ever taken as sincere ever taken as like evidence of sincere curiosity or even like you know intellectual responsibility it was always like this evil ego male thing that had to just be like completely like put down and destroyed as quickly as possible (laughs) you know like i think now that stuff has kind of washed away a little bit i think we've kind of forget just how like viciously like anti-male the sort of like internet mainstream internet culture especially if the i think it was really intense around the middle of the 2010s yeah you know yes yes Uh, i mean that's when you kind of got the like um um well it's funny because like i was never a big gamer gator but that's when you got the like anita sarkeesian feminist frequency uh gamergate stuff was like right around then and you know people like to kind of play play up the meme that that kind of like got the ball rolling for all of this right the joke of like you know domino falls of uh you know some some lady doing a kickstarter for for a feminist video series and then donald trump gets elected or something right but um that's actually it's funny you said that because one of my takes when i left um barbie a couple years a couple years um, holy shit yeah time um a couple weeks ago was that it felt like it was from like 2017 or something like it just yeah well it felt like quaint some people have said that i i quite like barbie i thought it was quite good like uh i understand there's that whole kind of thing in the in the middle where um america ferrara is like doing her speech (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah um which is a bit annoying and stuff i kind of feel like it's like the thematic payoff of the movie i to me that felt like an obligation and i don't know if i'm like trying to read too much kind of baseness into Greta gerwig because there's there's a kind of like feminist quality to barbie that i'm not entirely you know um like disrespectful towards uh, mm-hmm. like, I think, you know, I think, you know, there's a kind of, within the sort of gender war type thing, right, there has to be this, like, I do think there has to be this kind of reciprocal tit for tat, where both sexes need a, a, a moment to, like, bitch about one another. Um, but even beyond that, like, uh, I think the, the Barbie movies, what it has to say about feminism in the final assessment by the end of the movie is that it's like a human imaginative artifice, so while it can have some value, it's always like lower than the human imagination, you know. Like that was yeah, because my... well, it because it's like relational, right? Like it it like relies on the other being like Ken, the Kens. Well, and... at the end, Ruth Handler, the you know, as she's portrayed in the movie, 
says to Margot Robbie that like human beings invent invented dolls and invented patriarchy to make the world more comfortable, which is first of all like it's astonishing that the film would take that kind of emotionally sympathetic a view towards like quote unquote patriarchy mm-hmm. because there's a kind of acknowledgement there that like you know on some level like the patriarchal society is like a cope <laughs> you mm-hmm. know so there's sure. like this yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. like weird kernel of sympathy for the patriarchal men there which i think is like very kind of gracious um but i think that you know she says dolls and patriarchy and i don't think the film's view of dolls is negative so i think that you know at, at this level she's basically just saying that like she's a, sort of treating these things neutrally and i think the implication is that feminism is another one of these kind of artifacts you know like she's basically saying yeah like dolls feminism uh, like intellectual objects as well as physical objects these are things that are created by the mind you know and we create them to try and help our you know help our lives to help us organize things to help us process information but we're always like higher than those things and that's why margot robbie in the end she goes out into the real world which is supposed to be like that's like the bad you know catcalling world right <laughs> like where there are sexist builders and stuff but she does she still chooses it in the end because um it's also real and I think that that's like I'm so that's actually really counter to the sort of hmm. like therapeutic worldview of like hmm. especially the, the pop culture that was like really heavy in the in the late 2010s like BoJack Horseman, Rick and Morty, blah, 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 <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Um, like which is so like uh, ultimately kind of retreating yes. in their attitude towards the world, you know and. It's very, it, it's very it, Bojack Horseman is very solipsistic. Like it's just it's it's yeah yeah one hundred percent. It's it's trapped it's trapped within the sort of endless millennial self critique, and that's like the one thing that will like really characterize, in my opinion, like millennial art when we look back on it, will yeah. be that it was trapped in this neurotic cycle of self criticism, you know, and uh, Barbie doesn't do that, and it easily could because it's actually tangling itself up in so many strands of you know like um and it does sort of deconstruct itself in certain ways but at the end it does make a very straightforward um you know like decision about like what margot robbie has like has to do you know so uh, yeah i I think uh, i think barbie's i do think that it does seem like they're trying to make it into like a gender wars object now i think that they were disappointed that um it was so positively received by men um i think they wanted men to feel resentful and bitter and fragile about it um and i think that that instead it was like kind of like good vibes can good you know it's like good vibes can achieve right so like um there's this kind of effort to like manufacture. I saw this article that was like, "Oh yeah, like women are breaking up with their boyfriends after I seeing saw Barbie." That. I and saw it's like, that. 
the message is supposed to be if you're a guy like the subliminal programming is supposed to be like we need to do something about this fucking barbie movie otherwise like <laughs> like it's turning the women against us or something you know that, that well that was that was that was i mean that's kind of what i'm that's kind of what i was i was talking about right of just that like of just that whole like um uh you know the the discipline women need to discipline their their men yeah it is it. like it's, that it's, it's yeah. funny it's funny it's i love i love that i'm getting this perspective because i fucking hated barbie so much really <laughs> dude oh my god i hated it i thought it was a hateful movie uh, <laughs> i i thought it was i thought it was so loathsome and, and i thought that it just i thought that it was just arguing with with itself in the end um, no, I, I, I mean, you know, there are like, I, I do get it because like there are irritating moments, and I think that like the the Barbie deprogramming scene, um, doesn't like work on the film's own terms mm-hmm. kind of thing because like why would the Barbies by definition don't have any knowledge of the like contradictions or difficulties of living up <laughs> to like you know female identity or whatever right. because they are they're already created as it. Oh right. So it's like, why would that speech that America Ferrara is giving have any effect on them? Like, it doesn't. That doesn't make any sense. I, I, I honestly, um, I, I honestly felt well. And, and this is, this is, I'm, I'm being authentic when I say I like hearing the other take on it because I think that's a, I think you had a genuinely solid take on it. Um, I think that, uh, I think it's just that that ending for me of where she basically, she basically just like meets God, right? Um, yeah, she, I, like, I, I like that. <laughs> yeah, she meets her creator. To, to me, one of the problems with that is that it just it becomes so abstract that it that it almost just becomes oh, yeah. like a, a canvas for anybody to get anything they want out of it, basically. And it's just kind of like, but I don't know. It it's funny. I like. Oh, I, I know. I, you, I know what you mean formally, but it, it's it, it. This is like where I've seen people describe it as being a bit kind of like a YouTube essay or something, which I think is. It's fair. Well, it's you know. so didactic. Yeah. Like, it's so... It's Well, go ahead. Go ahead. I don't mean to cut you off. Uh, well, you know, I, t- I see a lot. Like, the one thing I I really... Uh, not... I don't know. Like, I think is kind of um, revealing or, or just kind of dumb is, like, that... Uh, how... Like, it's one of those moments where... Um, I, 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 I kind of had this thought after seeing it. Mm-hmm. Where the term male ego is basically like a euphemism for emotions. I saw so, I saw you make this post and I loved this. I was thinking yeah. about this quite a bit actually. Yeah, like so if you're like a guy and if someone wants to like hurt a guy's feelings, but you know, I'm presuming she doesn't want to feel bad about it, she will just say <laughs> that it's like hurting the male ego. Like, oh I hurt his ego or whatever. And you're supposed to take from that that like um you're doing the work. What, whatever, like <laughs> emotional investment this guy has is like in something, uh, you know, it's like in his status or whatever, right? Or yeah. like in just something that's like not really important or not really worth. Um, it's maladjusted. It's, maladjusted. it's, it's not maladjusted right. inherently. Yeah. Like if you're a man, then your emotion, your emotional life is like regarded by society as kind of inherently like maladjusted. And, uh, like, inherently kind of, um, you know, uh, like, concerned with the wrong things. Um, And there's, like, very little thought given to, like... I mean, I just feel like, you know, if you're, like, playing um, uh, a song for a girl on a guitar, I do think, you know, 
that's actually quite a beautiful, lovely thing to do. <laughs> that's so you funny know. you brought that scene. I think up. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just gonna go go out and defend it. I don't even give a fuck. I mean, this is like no one knows what fucking emotional vulnerability is. Um, but emotional vulnerability is like saying that, like, no, I I do think is sweet and nice to like play a song for a girl on an acoustic guitar. You right. know, right? Like, I I think that's like a nice, cool thing that men should do. Um, and I think that this whole idea that like they're just doing it because they're so like self-absorbed and they're in love with themselves and it's all about their ego. It's like obviously just pure rationalization. It's just pure cope. Like, okay, if you find it boring or whatever, fine, that's, like, not your fault. I'm not saying it couldn't be boring or unpleasant, but, like, fucking grow some balls and just admit that you, like, you know, <laughs> you know, that's, like, what's going on, but it doesn't mean that the guy doesn't mean it sincerely, right. you know? Or, right. uh... So, uh, yeah, it does... It, it, the movie he, does, like, participate in some crass, like... Sorry, you, you go ahead. Oh, no, no, you're, no, you're like, it's literally, it's literally just the, like, uh, it's, it's just the, like, um... I'm I'm not confident enough to just tell people that like I like don't want to watch this eight minute long YouTube video that they're showing me or like playing for me on the guitar and so I'm gonna I'm yeah. gonna get fucking I'm gonna get mad about it and make it seem like I'm gonna I'm gonna over intellectualize it yeah and so, somehow just make it actually like they're narcissists or something yeah yeah like, yeah you, you know it's like, you're, and like, then, you're entitled it, to just not you know want to experience that that's fine you know if, uh, if there's if, you, if there's a guy who thinks that you're interested in him and then uh you like deliberately play with his feelings and try and make him jealous <laughs> that's like his ego isn't the problem, you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, like, I just feel like that's obvious. Um, but, uh, like, I don't know. I think that uh, people are fucking afraid to say things like this because they don't want to be seen to be, like, whining or complaining or, you know, which is, the, is like, the emotional cash 22 that men live within. And it What's isn't... A- it, it, we, we like we we read um we read like the burnout society uh by byung chul han recently for like one of our kind of like show book clubs oh and, yeah yeah and like just kind of this idea this idea of like um hold on my my screen just went on standby and of course oh yeah mine did that no and do you have that moment where you're like oh fuck like my computer just turned off it's never done that before but it just did it anyways um no, uh, just this like just this ability to um, say no, right? Just to be able to like just say no to people, and like and and I think that there's this, and at this point, I'm like I'm like kind of I'm going beyond Barbie at this point, but like I think that I think that uh, I think that like convincing so many women that like men are just this thing that's inflicted upon them throughout their lives or, or just to anybody about anything. Right. It, it like, it creates this thing where it's like, it's like, you can just say no to things. Um, but, but short of that, like your, your inability to just say no to something can never be about like, about this excess positivity that you, um, feel you have to exude it has to be like this like almost kind of violence committed against you or something that's like this terrible imposition on you as oh, opposed yeah. to just literally being like no like I just I just don't want to do that thing that's that's fine you know um, and like and people that can say no to that even like like I remember like at points in my life where 
maybe I was like a little bit less aware. And oh, here's a perfect example. This is a buddy who like I still have that like great, great friendship and everything. And I remember a few years ago, I like lent him a comic book that I liked. Um, I lent him like Luther Strode or something. And he and he reads like half of it. And I come back over to his house to like hang out. And he's like, oh, you can have this back. And I'm like, oh, like, well, you didn't, you didn't finish it. And he's like, I just didn't like it. And like, that's a completely fucking normal thing to yeah. say. And I remember just like being shaken and just being like, wait, like, you can't just say that you don't like this book that you read half of <laughs> and then just not want to continue reading it. Right. And it's just that like, people need to fucking say yes constantly or like, mm-hmm. like that, like in my, my fucking pea brain at that time, I was, I was probably just thinking like, Oh no, you were supposed to say like, Oh yeah, you liked it. And then, and then lie about having finished it or something. You know oh, what no, I mean? But, I mean, you were probably like just, you're registering like a really low level sort of social transgression within the kind of um, like framework that up until that point was like normal to you yep 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 uh, Wait, which doesn't mean i'm an idiot or anything right but it but it is no it no is, you're a dumbass love yeah well okay, <laughs> there it is see and this is this is the podcast dynamic this is why we need it. um <laughs> throwing a little negativity when you can <laughs> <laughs> no exactly you're, you have the power to say no um no anyways anyways yeah it's just it's just interesting and, and it's worth it's worth uh, examining you know yeah, no, I mean, I think things like that are actually, you know, like, the problem now isn't really that men have, their egos are too big, it's just that they don't have, it, the problem is, like, literally the opposite, they don't have big enough egos, they don't have, like, secure egos that are, like, you know, strong enough to, like, register confrontation in a healthy way, like, that seems, I mean, that's, like, been my experience growing up, is, like, learning how to, um, you know, like not be intimidated in new social situations, not mm-hmm. like learning how to not be intimidated by other men, um, not feeling like threatened by them. Um, and obviously it's very, very easy to fold those observations back into a kind of like um, pop feminist interpretation or like critique of masculinity or whatever. But that isn't really it because actually there was nothing necessarily pathological about the behavior that was threatening to me like it actually wasn't violent or intimidating in intention or effect it was just that i hadn't like learned how to uh effectively respond to it and i didn't understand it but as soon as i kind of understood the emotional logic underlying it um it wasn't really scary anymore i mean obviously these things they take a bit of like practice and like getting used to and stuff um but you well, and, really... and obviously it takes hundreds of dollars to have like your thoughts and feelings oh, yeah. mediated to you by a trained <laughs> professional, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, you know, are they going to say to you, though, like, I mean, I guess like a good therapist would say that, right? Like they yeah. would say, like, are you sure that this person's behavior was like, you know, intentionally <laughs> trying to like frighten you or, you know, I mean, assuming that the person's behavior wasn't and it was like... um the situation was relayed accurately like it's it, it'd be a bad thing for them to just like validate someone's endless suspicions towards the world <laughs> right 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 have you have you considered that actually you're not paranoid enough <laughs> yeah um but 
you know, I, I think like, yeah, I mean, I look at my like friends, I don't know, like the men, the men in my life, you know, I just think actually the problems that people attribute to us um, or the problems that people presume to want to like treat us for, right. Or the things that people even want to have compassion for us over are really nothing to do with us. <laughs> Like they're to do with their like fantasies of, mm-hmm. you know, of helping and their role in, in what that would be. Um, that, that's, re- that's a fucking, that's an interesting point. And I might, I might kind of miss the point a little bit here, but it just is getting me thinking about like to, to bring it back to Barbie a little bit. Right. Sure. Of like, instead of actually like grappling and wrestling with like problems as they like actually exist. Um, like, uh you're like focusing on on shit that's just this kind of abstraction that you've kind of mm-hmm. socially picked up that maybe doesn't actually you know connect with your actual life at, at all or your experience at all and i remember i remember like leaving the leaving the theater and i, I went to see it with my um, with my fiance right and i remember just like kind of having this like realization of just being like man like if this was like a few years ago you know a number of years ago and i was like still single and like i like i wasn't just like living with a woman and like had a good relationship with a woman and feeling confident and secure in that way and i and i was still in that position of needing to go out and prove something right establish my value to somebody this movie would have like authentically upset me right because it because it because then because at that point i'm then going like oh my gosh like this is this is the it's like incel fuel. It's like it's like incel fuel is what is I guess kind of what I'm saying, right? There's this like this total abstraction of like of like what women are. It makes me kind of it makes me kind of remember this uh this post on Twitter this like last week that was like that was like this really attractive girl and this guy's interviewing. It's one of these dumb fucking genres of just like dude oh, yeah, interviewing. Yeah. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Um but he's like, hey, like, would you would you date a guy who made less than this number? And it's funny because the number was still comically high. Um, but she's like, yeah, of course. Like, that doesn't matter. Right. Um, and people just being like so surprised by that. Right. And it's like, you shouldn't be surprised by that. That's like the answer that like most women I've met in my fucking life would give. Yeah, like, um, well adjusted people would give. No, exactly. Because like because because like that's not that's not just like it. it People aren't just like this trope that you right. have. People mm-hmm. are the people you're interacting with every day, you know? And, uh, well, and- it does seem to be like this weird online subculture of, and it's not really like a woke phenomenon. It's more mm. just, although maybe there's some small overlap, but it, there's this kind of weird like world of like professionalized dating where mm-hmm. there are people who are oh. like, it's almost like a kind of like grind set. Yeah, def dude, definitely. Yeah, you know they're like they're like on the dating grind set, so it's like they're not they don't they're not like normal people, (laughs) (laughs) kind of like they because they're always like coming up with these like weird and I think it's like men and women definitely they're coming up with like lists of like expectations and rules for people and shit. To be fair, to be fair, women always do that normally, but uh, (laughs) but men men shouldn't. I'm I'm half joking. I'm half joking. (laughs) Um, but no, one hundred percent, and like. Uh, it reminds me of this, like, um, this Christopher Lash thing of talking about, like, like in the culture of narcissism, you know, this, this kind of, um, you know, the corporate world had, has shifted 
from people having like loyalty to the company they work toward uh, work for yeah. into being like everyone's kind of like this uh, mercenary and uh, there's more there's more attention in work culture paid towards things like competition right and performance and then that bleeds out into other aspects of life and like yeah, yeah. and like one of the biggest most telling uh, aspects is how how obsessed people are with the concept of sexual performance and how like historically just like strange that is and how fucking dehumanizing that is and uh, and I think like just it just it, it totally it totally makes sense just having this kind of like accountant view of of yeah, dating it's yeah. al- it's almost like a video game and it's like it's like people are min maxing dating yeah uh, no, they, they totally are I mean like some people are just completely you know put their minds to it and they're like yeah i'm gonna like try and maximize my my like success and this i mean it, i think there's also like overlap with people who are like kind of selling you know like dating advice as well so there's obviously that kind of um commercial uh component to what's going on as well um but i wanted to um defend the barbie movie a little bit though oh go ahead absolutely uh because i do think like uh i do think that one of the kind of interesting things about it is i think that it could kind of only i feel like it could only have been made now where everybody is kind of burnt out on like gender and feminism discourse and i think that there is a there's like a kind of latent um desire for some kind of reconciliation which i think that the barbie movie actually kind of participates in and I think that one of the interesting things about it that a lot of people have overlooked, because some people are kind of mad about the fact that it, you know, has these characters using the word patriarchy yeah. or whatever. So there's this kind of fear that it represents a kind of like completely ideologically captured movie, I think is why people don't like that. They're worried that like feminism is so taken for granted and so much a part of this movie's like, like worldview or whatever that it's just sort of like embedded into it, you know, and there's no like it's sort of airless or something. But actually I don't think that's how it to me it feels a lot more like um the way these characters kind of the, the way the film uses the word patriarchy, it's kind of like stuff we already know. Like it's a discourse that we're already familiar with and the film presumes your familiarity. Yeah, and this is what like distinguishes it from like a movie like the Ghostbusters remake or something, which from the very beginning is just this like, it's not like a real movie. It's like this cultural, this like weird staged, artificial event, which is like the the, the seeing the movie is kind of redundant. Yeah, can, can I it? can I speak on that really fast because that's yeah, yeah. that's such a fucking interesting point and I was just talking about this the other day. I have a buddy who I've talked to about this. It's um uh the example I like to use is She-Hulk, right? Where and I never watched yeah. that fucking Holy piece shit, of shit, but yeah. but She-Hulk is more about the the uh the like augmented reality game yeah. like marketing strategy kind of like what yeah. um yeah. the 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 earliest one I can think of is Blair Witch, but I think it came into its own more with like Cloverfield. Where like you you dig into it and it's about how people are reacting to it online and stuff like that. That's the actual product, right? Yeah, and, yeah. 
And, and, and like, I think that it, that's a really good, from a business standpoint, it's probably a really savvy way of like writing out times when like you need to just like cut on writing budget and shit, you know, shit like that. Like it's, it's the show isn't the actual product. The show is just a catalyst to create, to create the real product, which is the online discourse cycles. And it's like a really, really cheap and easy to turn over um, like marketing strategy and product, right? Like, like. How amazing is it if you can just like if you can just get this incredible um, interaction with your product while not actually needing to like invest a lot of money into it or like put a lot of effort into it? Like, does that make sense? Yeah, I mean that that's what kind of what like Gamergate was really about. I, I think one hundred percent, one hundred percent is that it was about like all these indie game developers who were kind of. Like, or, and the same thing were happening with, like, comic book writers and stuff, right? Where, like, for a while, there was this, like, thing of, like, woke comics where you'd see, like, Wonder Woman being up a guy for mansplaining or something. And you realize, like, oh, this is just a stylized version of someone's argument on Twitter. Yes. Like, there was a time where all the bad guys in comics were just, like, being given dialogue like straight from the writer's Twitter feed from people they were arguing with. <laughs> so it was like the real text was like the Twitter feed, <laughs> you know? Yes. And like the real game is like the Twitter feed. And then all the comics and games are just like, yeah, that's some bullshit that we're doing like on the side or whatever. It's not really like the main thing. And none of it's really like very technically competent. It's yeah. just, it's just like kind of an afterthought. 100%. Um, but, um, but yeah, like, yeah, I mean, the She-Hulk, that's like a great example because, and it also, that shows this kind of, like, uh, when, when, like, leftists online talk about how media should be political or how all media is political, mm-hmm. their example of, like, political media is always something that, like, gives some kind of cameo. It's like this cameo-based <laughs> version of politics. Yes. It's, like, literally the equivalent of, like, a Marvel crossover movie or something. Like, if, uh, fucking, I don't know, like, The Flash showed up in a Marvel movie and it was this big Marvel DC crossover and you go, like, oh, hey, it's The Flash! It's, like, literally the same thing with, like, um, it's, like, in the Indiana Jones movie with, uh, oh, what's her name? The Fleabag. Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Um. Why is she in everything? Uh, and, like, there's this line where she's, like, uh, you know, she has some like fucking clever line about capitalism or something. It's just like, right. what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like, you're you're in an Indiana Jones movie, <laughs> like it's like, but it's not even like it doesn't even make sense on his own term. Like I don't know, like it's just this kind of like uh, you know, Pavlovian like wires in your brain lighting up when you recognize a word and that was like that's like she-hulk like with feminism or something right it's like barbie is like a a thoughtful movie i think at the very least like it's actually meditating on feminism and like what feminism is you know so it obviously shares some kind of like presuppositions about um you know living in a patriarchal society and all of this kind of stuff but i think it like there's some kind of fucking mental breathing room that it creates like there's there's some kind of mental space that it affords us and actually that's like almost the one thing that like you know to to whatever extent the last like 10 years of wokeness or whatever could be considered actually kind of psychically oppressive it Mm -hmm. was in the way it denied you 
from having that kind of breathing space to actually like reflect on your beliefs or right. on you know on like feminism or whatever it was and allow it to actually really like participate in your own intellectual life mm-hmm. and that That's, was like the, yeah. the horrifying thing because we were all alienated from that really deliberately yeah I think that's fucking, I think that's really well said. I think that's really well said. I, I think, I think, um, I think that one thing about Barbie is that I think that Margot Robbie and Noah Baumbach are good enough writers to where it, it was going to be hard for them to just, to just write something that is just completely just like, um, the, the, the MK ultra conditioning word that makes everyone clap like seals in the audience. <laughs> like there need, yeah. there needed, there was going to be some, level of thoughtfulness and the way i think about it is uh, this whole the whole kind of libtard worldview basically rests on one one really big hinge point that i think about a lot which is basically just like um the the actual progress and i don't mean it in like a in like a moralizing way just just like the fact that things in the last 40 years have changed at all right the changes or progress of the last several decades can never be actually acknowledged ever or else they would they would understand that like a lot of the platitudes that are being said a lot of the a lot of the boogeymen that are being argued against um just the just the just the general power dynamics of modern western society it would all crumble if they weren't basically arguing against like a straw man 1980s moral majority caricature. Mm-hmm. And so and so like an actual analysis of contemporary society can never happen. And I think that exactly what you're talking about when you're saying like it's almost like patriarchy is almost like del- is talked about and delivered in this movie as 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 like a concept that's rote already right like it's like yeah yeah exactly we're we're all really we're all really used to this right we're all we know and like i think that that right there like really simple is an acknowledgement of of exactly what i'm talking about it's it's an acknowledgement of like historical time you know exactly exactly yeah that's that's you (laughs) what what took me five sentences took you you know three syllables exactly no no no. i mean i'm i'm totally you know i'm an essay talker but like uh yeah like i'm and it's funny because you can actually see in the the movie the moments where it feels like the writers have made kind of almost like concessions to uh a, a more like to my mind like crass kind of pop cultural like discourse or whatever like when you have the daughter going like hell yes white savior barbie or something like that right right that feels like something to me which is just like trying to is they're really there to almost like manage the anxieties of the audience and like reassure them that this is like a feminist movie i think it had to be like a kind of like almost formally it had to be like a feminist movie so there have to be these moments where any kind of creeping anxiety on the part of the audience that like, Oh, this is developing in some kind of like complex way, not even the audience. I mean, I have to give them some credit, but like neurotic movie reviewers who, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) yeah. um, Like, because there was some interview where the reviewer did their, they just like recited their like 
whole speech about how I think this is really great. This is a feminist movie to Greta Gerwig. And Greta Gerwig was like, I think of it as more of a humanist movie. And then the interviewer was like, I have to push back on that a little bit because I think it's really wonderful, blah, blah, blah. And Greta Gerwig obviously had to be like, well, no, of course it's a feminist movie. But there's this like, you know, she had to kind of like mother this person basically and be like, no, of course it's, don't worry, it's a feminist movie, you know, like that has to be kind of got out of the way before we can actually have a, like an adult discussion about it. Which yeah, like is, you, I think, you need you to still do. have your like clap like seals laugh lines here. And yeah. There. But even that, even that moment in the movie, um, Margot Robbie as Barbie actually just says no to the girl. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like this weird, like, slightly pointed moment where she's like no it was your mum who like you know who showed me or something like that so it's like in that moment even though the girl is praising barbie um there's still that kind of pointed you know tumblr feminist attack on her buried in there because this is like a spiky adolescent or whatever you know right Um, and in the context of the character delivering it kind of like implies a certain like kind of and that character is also there to like represent that voice, which I think is fair. Like the kind of adolescent feminist girl who's really like emo and misanthropic and, you know, harsh. Well, and they Um, even have, they even have like in the, in the line, in the scene, um, in the scene that everyone was making fun of on Twitter, where she's like capitalism and at at the, at the lunchroom or at the school. Right. Yeah. Um, they even have that like little line where everybody's like, I hate Barbie. Don't you hate Barbie? And then like the one girl is like, I kind of like Barbie. And then they're like, uh, excuse me. Um, yeah, it's really intelligent. It really like, uh, you know, it's sort of self-critical in a, in a sort of like interesting and funny way where like no one character is presented as being like, it would be so like, uh, unpleasant if, that little girl was like, you know, shown as this to be this like voice of reason. She's or the moral compass of the entire yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, that would be really horrible. Like they have to acknowledge the actual like social reality of like teenage adolescence as well, you know, and they do. So that's that's good. And yeah, then like, she, part- she's she is basically like a source of conflict in the movie, which is a pretty good a pretty good angle to take on it, like between her and her mom. It's also like the the because the movie is about a toy. It's about like the toy in multiple, you know. It's about like the toy's significance to different people, right? And so I think it, the movie is quite good at like integrating all of these things together into something that's like harmonious. Because I think when probably teenage girls like that is the age where they start questioning the sort of culture that they've been exposed to up until that point, which is like, you know, dolls and things like that. And they start developing these kind of like, you know, uh, appropriately adolescent critiques of them that are, and that's like a kind of process as part of their own intellectual development. So they're kind of skeptical towards things like Barbie. Right. Whereas the mum is more like nostalgic towards Barbie and she's like assimilated that kind of teenage critique of Barbie and she understands it all but she's she also is like 
there's this kind of um thing going on in the movie there's this like subtext that like yeah feminism is nice but i'm like a mother and i have to fucking get this shit i have to just live and do things and you know and like actually in her speech some of the expectations that she's complaining about are like things like sisterhood <laughs> you know right the like, like solidarity along this, gender this lines. idea of of yeah this idea of being like a model feminist you know um so yeah, I don't know. I think it's kind of um, it's like a it's it's complex. I think it's a good movie. This this will be the last time you're ever on the podcast, just for the record. Slav's <laughs> <laughs> so like, all right, he disagreed with me, and he's out of here. I'm actually grabbing my ball peen hammer, and I'm about to smash my keyboard. Um, <laughs> this is unfucking believable. No, sorry. no, no. I mean, it's it's all good yeah. stuff. I mean, I mean, um. You know, I like I I still fucking hate the movie, but I will say that it's not um it's not as it's not as clear cut as a lot of movies are with with this kind of stuff. Um and I think that you know, my take ultimately uh on it and I don't, you know, I don't I don't want to belabor this point necessarily, but I I do think that the movie is kind of in a spiritual battle with itself, especially in the third act, because I think the third act is kind of a a little bit of a mess. Um, And and I think that that comes from, you know, like I said, being the product of like a couple of filmmakers that are actually like authentically thoughtful people, as opposed to, you know, like you said, like um, fucking Ghostbusters, was it 2016? Ghostbusters 2016? Yeah, 2016 Ghostbusters. Yeah, the, the, yeah, f- fucking 40 years ago. Wow, that's um, crazy. Yeah, yeah, 2016 Ghostbusters, which like, which doesn't really have any thoughtfulness in it, right? Um, it, it's, like no, nobody actually wanted to see it, including the people who are defending it. Oh yeah, no, exactly. It's just, you it's know, just, it's like, pro- proto She Hulk, right? Yeah. Um, first it's tragedy, then it's farce. Um, but. Uh, but yeah, yeah, no, it's um. Did, did you see? Did you see Oppenheimer? Well, it's yes. funny you just. It was funny you just said that because <laughs> I was because I was just gonna say, um, I liked Oppenheimer. I'll give it a solid seven out of ten. We talked about it last week. Um, but if if nothing else, I've had much better discussions about Barbie, um, which has to be worth something because because Oppenheimer was well. Okay, did you see it? Yeah, I mean, I just I just recorded an, an episode uh, of my my podcast with somebody about it, and I've done a Barbie one as well. But I mean, I you know I had a great guest, um, but I found I didn't have as much to say about Oppenheimer. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, um, and you know I liked it. I think it was a good movie. Um, I think it's less made for discourse. Like I think Barbie was specifically made for it to be a yeah, discursive that's true. movie. Yeah. yeah. Well, that might be damning I mean, praise considering She Hulk. Now, but, but... Now, now that I have my own podcast, I think that's like a good thing. <laughs> it's nice when I have content. Fuel for the take yeah. bills, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, will you just quickly name drop your podcast and stuff while we're talking about it and kind of sell it on us a little bit so we can get it out in front of our listeners? Yeah, thank you. Um, it's called Bistro Californium. Uh, Californium, like the element. Okay. Not, like, not California, like the state. Which is, uh, you know, something I should have thought about that would have been confusing. But <laughs> yeah, never mind. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's basically like, uh, you know, every week I have a different guest. Uh, we talk about like a book or a movie or um, a band, an album. Sometimes I'll pair things together that are kind of interesting. Um, and it's just like a kind of discussion about 
like uh you know the themes of the work in question or what we take from it uh what it means to us it's basically a kind of comparative literature discussion you know mm-hmm. so i i think of it as like a kind of uh almost like a talking essay between two people okay which is probably a horrible sell but <laughs> yeah, for me things everyone loves to read and write essays <laughs> yeah yeah exactly but, <laughs> but you know it's like an essay in the original sense of the word where you're essaying out on a topic to get to the bottom of it totally. so you don't have you don't have to fix everything into a horrible boring um you know structure you can just like let let your uh, mind ramble a little bit just yeah. riff on stuff Riff on stuff, yeah, and and that's the kind of fun thing about it because like these kind of weird, like it's really also about these kind of weird synchronies that come up or these weird resonances between things that mm-hmm. are counterintuitive. So uh, I did an episode a while back that was um, pairing Spyro the Dragon with John Keats, the English Romantic poet. <laughs> um, nice, uh, because like there's so so much kind of pastoral imagery in Spyro, but it yeah. was also just like putting these two things together it was amazing the amount of like weird almost like uh like coincidences or connections between the two were coming up and it ended up just being a really productive uh way into talking about a lot of these different topics like the sort of significance of like the pastoral you know uh with like spyro's beautiful rolling green hills Mm -hmm. and all this kind of stuff the fact that like Keats has, you know, Ode to a Grecian Urn. That's like one of his his famous odes. Um, and on Spyro, you're like racing around, crashing into these Greek urns. Yeah. You know? And like for Keats, the not to like relitigate the whole episode, but like, you know, the that what that ode is all about is about like uh it, it's kind of about how like this frozen moment as depicted on the side of the urn is so poignant because it depicts uh you know a, a, this kind of perfect moment where and the price of that is that nothing can change and nobody can grow old and all of this kind of thing and so like it was actually a really interesting way into talking about like childhood nostalgia and yeah. how that's connected to video games and the way that like a level will reset eternally because once you've completed the game there's nowhere else for it to grow or develop so it is like this kind of frozen world you know um and i think that's like really magical i think it's really about like you know um setting things up for those moments to happen definitely i really like that concept of like exploring the synchronicities in between different um media you know pieces of media whether it be literature or movie or music at all um, especially when it's over extended time periods, like with what you're talking about. Yeah, because, you don't really have time to get into it. And yeah. Yeah, and, and it also brings up kind of interesting stuff where it's like, are some of these scenes kind of slightly unconsciously referencing or like kind of slightly influenced by some of these other products, even if it's not at all conscious or direct influence? Like, you know, there's a cultural cachet that one of them is put into at an earlier time than the other. And so, like, how is that kind of working its way through the human mindset and that kind of thing? Yeah. It's about like, you know, uh, sort of high and low culture and finding ways to appreciate both of them and seeing how they kind of speak to one another. I mean, it's funny cause like some dirtbag left guy recently, like he, he mistakenly thought that I was like a, uh, like a based, you know, like racist 
uh, aristocrat or something. Or, you know, like that's how I <laughs> present myself. And so he was like trying to own me by talking about like he was like you literally review like review podcasts on about video games. You know, you literally like do a podcast about a children's game. And it's like, well, you know, I played it when I was a child. That's like the <laughs> yeah. basis for my, you know, aesthetic appreciation for it. But it's like, these guys are always kind of telling on themselves because I don't have any snobbery about like, you know, d- discussing a video game as like a serious text, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that's like his prejudice that he's like, you know, getting a... Uh, getting pissed at yeah why aren't you <laughs> like, discussing fucking marx's letter to the fucking yeah. danube or whatever the hell <laughs> yeah. but um but yeah i don't know i don't know when this is released but uh on wednesday the 10th um no wednesday no, actually it's midnight now so yeah so wednesday the 9th of august um i'll be releasing uh i did an episode on the band xtc do you guys know xtc mm-hmm um yeah like m- making plans for nigel census working overtime and stuff so we just we just did a huge epic sweep through the XTC discography, and I have I'm gonna put out a Barbie Oppenheimer episode very soon as well. Very so, cool. Yeah, I'll end I'll end my plug there. How Heck long have yeah. you had the podcast going for you? I started in January. Okay, um, so it's relatively new. So yeah, but I've I've kind of more or less managed to keep uh, an episode schedule of I've. I think i've done one every week from the beginning nice, of the man. year that's better like than we've two. been doing so <laughs> yeah um no it's uh yeah i mean you you guys are both welcome to come on i'd love to have you on oh heck yeah thanks man yeah, we'd love yeah, that for that'd sure. be a blast that'd yeah, be a blast. Yeah. We, we were actually just talking about um we were gonna do a uh i think sometime this week we're gonna do a discussion on videodrome Mm-hmm. And oh, so, sick. yeah, I'm honestly, man, like, it's kind of cool, like doing this new project, kind of just figuring out like, oh, well, like, what are we interested in doing? And what are we interested in talking about? Um, and um, what, what kind of things have you been just sort of discussing so far on the show? Honestly, it's kind of been a grab bag, but or go ahead, yeah. see, I, wish. I was gonna say, yeah, it's far arranging, pretty much. We I think we've recently kind of been getting into a rhythm of trying to incorporate like a movie or some sort of media product into an episode to kind of use like you were talking about to spiral out of an essay out on. Oh, it's great. It's a, yeah, it's a great, great to have as like an anchor. Definitely. Yeah. But otherwise, I think we've been just kind of doing essentially what we did on the Fed post of just kind of bringing a guest on or when we just do a solo episode, just kind of trying to cultivate an organic conversation and see where it leads mostly. Yeah. Well, you guys are really good at that because you're so like personable and pleasant to talk to <laughs> thank oh thank you, you. i take yeah. it back you'll be you'll have many more appearances on our show. Um, honestly honestly i'll say this barbie one of my favorite films of all time actually <laughs> actually I, I think it's shit now oh, <laughs> oh fuck. i remember i remember god it's it's funny i remember talking to i think it was thaddeus russell or or, or something um who came on and we were talking to him and he was like, yeah, man, it's it's funny, like, scheduling with you guys, because you guys are, like, the only people I've ever scheduled a podcast with that we need to, like, schedule around your, like, works, your, like, your, like work schedules. Um, <laughs> and I just think that's so fucking funny. There's never been, there's never been a, 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 a sphere of my life where, like, us just, like, being fucking normal has been, uh, has been, <laughs> has been a plus. <laughs> but just, like, but just having a schizo podcast is absolutely one of them. So that's... Uh, 
It rules. Honestly, now I'm also just going off fumes now, too, because because uh, I have like a fucking email job now. So I'm going to turn into a fucking ghoul any minute now. I just need, oh, yeah. I need COH to keep me uh, keep you uh, grounded, bro. Keep you grounded you, you as a normal it, person. Do you find it hard to like balance, balance the two? Uh, balance what? Like uh, like work and, and podcasting. Uh, you know, I would have it. <laughs> uh, well, what about you, COH, before I answer? Um, I think that it's at times it can be a little bit, um, difficult to just kind of work out all the scheduling and find the time to really feel like I'm giving my all to anything. Um, when you, when you feel like you have a lot of different things going on, it's really great. Uh, I like having a lot going on because it makes my life feel full. It makes me feel like I have something to do. I'm, I'm being productive in a way, or I'm like kind of giving meaning to my life through creating things and through like having a job where I create as well. And I think that it can be a little bit difficult to find the right time. Like I think that we've had a little couple of, you know, scheduling issues here and there just because it's difficult to always um, feel like I can give my full mind to the task at hand. Like if it's, if it's a night where we have a, a episode scheduled, you know, maybe it's like, if you get off a hard day at work, it's, you feel a little bit discombobulated. So yeah, maybe you, yeah. you feel like you can't really go into it with a clear mind, but then also at times it's, it's good to go into an episode that way because it can help ground you. Like you might need to have a conversation right then to kind of snap you out of that mindset and put you into a different frame. So yeah, yeah I, that's really true. It's yeah. kind of, it's yeah. kind of like, um, it's kind of like how, like I've had times where I'll have like a job that keeps me really busy and I'm like, fuck, I just need to like, I just need to like, get to a spot where I don't have this and I can really get my head clear. And then I'll like, and then I'll be just like totally unemployed and I'm just like not thinking clearly at all. <laughs> yeah, you know? like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have nothing going on. Yeah. I mean, COH has got a lot of music stuff going on and I've got a wedding I'm planning on top of work and, and this and everything. So it, oh, it can be amazing. like, uh, congratulations. Yeah. Well, thanks man. Thanks man. I, uh, uh, I think it would honestly probably be harder to balance if if our previous project hadn't been completely fucking obliterated, but uh, <laughs> as it was growing uh, bigger. But um, what what, hap- what actually happened to the the Feb? I mean, do you mind talking about it? I don't want to. I'm not going to talk about it on air, but we can talk about it after. But uh, oh, sure. okay. but yeah, it just yeah. you know it just you know in uh, on the on the plus side, you know, um, it, it's one of those things we lasted a pretty fucking long time in podcast yeah. years are like dog years, you know? <laughs> and so by that yeah. metric, we probably lasted about 60 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and but the yeah. switch, like you're saying, it did kind of like, I think we both needed and didn't even know that we needed it, but like a, a little bit of a moment of slow down. Cause I think like you're saying, we both kind of started picking up things in our own personal lives yep. it, completely by happenstance right around the same time. And it didn't really have anything to do with the, the split or anything but i think that it kind of just coincidentally worked out that starting a new project um with a slower pace that kind of happens when you're first starting out not really being forced to like you know you feel like you're we don't we didn't have a good time you know reaching out to people to get onto the podcast we didn't have a lot of big guests lined up right away because we just were locked out of twitter and a bunch of other things and so because of that it was less stressful it seemed a little bit less pressure and i think that having that kind of step back uh, was 
helpful for me in my personal life with my uh, other yeah. creative pursuits. And I think for you as well, Slav, with the things that you have going on with the wedding and everything. Exactly. And I think we have each um, other's backs in that way. And so it's kind of one of those things of just like, dude, if, if we want to just kind of put it on the back burner and just kind of have it be going, but not have it be a huge thing. It's like not, you know what I mean? Um, it's, it's like, it's, it's chill in that way. Um, but now fucking back on Twitter, getting some of our friends back, growing the show again. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's weird. It's been weird, but it's, but it's been good. It's been good. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, that's nice. I'm glad, I'm glad that it's like uh, building up again. Although that, that sounds like a really nice sort of ramp up as well. Like where there's a bit less kind of pressure to get things out and yeah, you have time to like, let it like kind of grow organically a little bit on its own. Definitely. Yep. Yep, it's 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 nice having something big, uh, but something big can also be kind of cumbersome, and the weight of it can kind of swing you around. And so, kind of, uh, yeah, switching to something, managing something smaller, has definitely had its benefits. And yeah, like like Coh said, I think just like it kind of happening at basically happening at a really opportune time, um, which yeah. is nice because now I feel like I'm coming back to this with like a much more authentic interest in it. You right. Know? Yeah. Like yeah, I'm tech. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm texting, I'm texting you today just about like, Oh, like I want to do this for a bonus and we should do this. And, and um, there were definitely, there's definitely been times where like, I would not have been thinking on that level at all. Um, so yeah. 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 I mean, it's like a, it's like a responsibility, but it, it's also like, uh, um, I don't know. It's it's so fun, just like planning things and yeah, <laughs> thinking of things to do. Being like, yeah, that would be really cool. Like, it's it's great, great feeling just making things happen. Yeah, even on a the, the small scale of a podcast. Well, one hundred percent. I mean, I think all of three of us are like into art, and it's just good to be yeah. making shit. And I don't. Yeah, I, I'll never use the 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 word uh, making content because I fucking mm, hate yeah. that. I think that it's like it's horrible. But just just making something, making anything, right? Um, it's just good for you. It's fu- it's good for oh, your yeah. fucking brain. And like I used to play in in a number of bands, and like that kind of chapter of my life is over. And I think that like, yeah, I think that podcasts have been have been like a really a really a really fun thing in that way. I actually I love like role playing um, in my own head as like an evil as like the evil corporation of my own podcast and like <laughs> whenever there's like a media phenomenon coming out i'm like how am i gonna make this into content dude like, it can be it can yeah. be kind of fun to do like, that dude. yeah like there's some good new content like barbie barbenheimer coming up i'm like yes yeah you know well this is be... so this is this is this is like part of the fun of the of the great dynamic that i have too is that sometimes i kind of feel like Okay, I'm I'm running a podcast with like a, a fucking a fucking bass playing like crystal dude, right? And so well, you, you have to have one of those. You totally do. Well no, sure. and, so, and so I get to just I get to like and it doesn't come to me naturally, but sometimes I can feel good about just being like, all right, like how do I how do I business this thing of it? Because like I feel like I have a pretty solid anchor. You know what I mean? Um, and so it is fun to just be like that, that, the evil, the evil corporate committee in your own head. Um, yeah. and I think, I think the, the reason we're even saying something like that is because I just, and I don't know, I can't totally speak for you, but it doesn't really come to me naturally. 
And so, well, you said that the, 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 you use the term like role playing and that's kind of exactly what it is. Right. Of just yeah, kind yeah. Of pu- putting on a different hat. That's kind of a yeah. departure from how I usually think. Uh, yeah. I know. I mean, for me, it's like the most disciplined thing I've ever done where, you know, like I'm just this like really lazy perfectionist who just doesn't ever want to do anything <laughs> because it won't be, it won't be perfect. And, you know, so like, you know, there are like, it's been really, uh, I think, good for me to just be like, uh, yeah, like I wasn't necessarily satisfied with my performance mm-hmm. on this one, you know, on this one, I kind of talked around in circles for a bit. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, I mean, obviously, all my guests are perfect. But sometimes <laughs> uh, the host has has problems. But oh, it's, same it's, here. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but, um, but uh yeah it's been really good for me to just be like well you know it doesn't fucking matter how i feel about it Mm because it's going out like we talk about that a lot about um sometimes you just got to do it and put rubber to road you know um yeah it's healthy to do that and it's helpful because it wears down some of those boundaries because it's like some of the perfectionism and stuff like that you can build up is also just like a barrier to actually doing the thing that you want to do in the long run dude this is this is this is a really interesting uh topic actually because like um, like I'm a, I played drums and that was always what I played in bands. And so I always, I always kind of like took the backseat of watching people like kind of lead the creative process. And I remember like the first band I played in was in high school and it was this, it was, it was kind of this process of this person just being really, really, really hyper measured and precious about like when are we going to play our first show? And like, when are we going to actually start recording stuff? And, and it never even really happened. Right. It was just like tons of practicing and never actually going out and like doing the thing where you, you start doing the work of it. Right. Which is funny because it's like, it's like, like the strokes can do that because the strokes are like related to fucking people that work in, you know, the music industry. And so they can have like a big first show or something. Right. But like, if you're just a nobody, you need to like, it's like with like how you hear comedians talk, like you need to just like go up and like bomb a bunch of times and do oh, the yeah. thing. Right. And, yeah. and at this point it kind of blows my fucking mind. I mean, I don't know how long we've been doing this thing. Like this thing as in just, you know, these people are sick and fed post. It's been a number of years and like three years, three and a three, half, three years at least. Right. And like, this is, this is more prolific than in I don't, you know, it's a totally different medium. So I need to qualify it this way, but like we're prolific at this point, you know, there's so many fucking hours of us just talking. Um, and it is just one of those things of like, of just realizing like, you know, I think people, especially like a lot of musicians that I kind of like would talk with in like the scene that I was involved in, it becomes this kind of like, well, I'm going to create, something and it's going to be my moment where I'm like the, 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 you know, redheaded girl with glasses in the eighties movie where I'm going to go up on stage and I'm going to let my hair down and take the glasses off. And everyone's going to notice I'm like a bombshell. Cause, cause, because, um, cause I'm going to share my creative genius and that's not how it works at all. Right. Like one of my favorite artists is like John Carpenter and John Carpenter is super fucking based. I feel like COA just heard this spiel like a thousand times. Oh, I have, but I like it. It's good. It's correct. No, it's good. It's, it's based, right? He, he <laughs> treats his job or he treated his job. Cause now he's retired and he just, he just jams with his son on guitar and watches Base. the NBA. 
but and, and just and just tweets about what PlayStation games he's playing. But like, um, he treats it like a like a craft, like a like he's a blue collar worker, and he treats it like a fucking job he's doing, like he's a carpenter or something, right? And like, Whoa, there's not John Carpenter, the carpenter. Yeah, huh? hey, and like, <laughs> and there, there's no like, there's no thing of it just being like, well, I'm just gonna. My mom told me I was special, so I'm just going to open my mouth and just perfection is going to come out. It's like, no, like it's an iterative process, you know, and just keep showing up to it, right? Yeah, totally. Well, this is, it's funny you say that because I also always wanted to be in a band when I was a kid and I had- Do a, you play any instruments? I play a little bit of guitar um, and I kind of fuck around on, you know, my, I got like a Logic Pro. So oh, I do nice. these nice. You know, MIDI things and stuff like mm-hmm. that, right? So- yeah, I like, always wanted to start like a kind of avant-garde rock band or something. Like, Hell yeah. Type thing. That's the shit. But I could just never get it together. So I had all these like imaginary bands where I had like, <laughs> you know, and I was such a kind of conceptualist. Like I'd think about like exactly what kind of art I wanted, what all the song titles would be. Like I've always been a person where song titles and album titles are very important and part of why I will like a band mm-hmm. over another band. Um, so, and the, you know, the band name, stuff like that i would obsess over um but i was like i could never really get it together and now it's like i kind of look back on it and it's like well yeah it's because like (laughs) like you weren't good (laughs) you know what i mean and it's like (laughs) but you know i say i kind of say that without like i'm not like beating myself up, up about it it's just true like it's not but the thing is if i'd recognized that then then i would have known that i could get better right at it you know, yes. and I would have actually maybe made a go of it. But my actual attitude was at the time, well, it, like if something didn't go exactly how I wanted it to go, then I w- it was like this kind of apocalyptic shattering mm-hmm. thing that would just make me give up immediately. Because yep. I, I just like, I basically had this kind of binary idea of creativity where you, you just kind of, like a spider making a cobweb or something you just kind of like discharge it out of you in one big movement (laughs) yeah you know and then it's like there and it's created and it's perfect and you either do that or like you it's bad or you can't do it or something like that Mm -hmm. and there's no like you know so yeah it just doesn't i mean like to kind of tie it in with like what we were talking about earlier and like therapy and mental health and stuff. Like I honestly feel like the best thing that has ever occurred to me or the thing that's like helped me most is just like sometimes, um, something just didn't work because you were bad at it. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like, but, but it's like, uh, now because we have, we do have this kind of culture of identification, right? So if someone is bad at something, they think that that's like some inherent quality about them mm-hmm. rather than like it rather than it being this like relational thing where they yeah. can actually, you know, you can just like get better at these things. That's a starting point. Yeah. You know, you know you're bad at it. You're, you've tried. That means you've tried it. And so your foot's in the door now. And so like you just continue to, if yeah. it's something that you're actually interested in and you feel called to or pulled to in any meaningful way, then you will try it again and keep flexing that muscle. And eventually you'll build and you'll build and you'll get better. Like creativity is just, is I think that creativity as like an, uh, as like a force or an essence, I think is something that is kind of mystical and, and, and such. But I think that as like a ability, um, 
I think that it, it develops like you do any other skill. Like I think yeah. that some people may be more tapped into more creative, you know, ideas or concepts conceptually, but you still have to be able to master the art of getting those concepts mm. to appear physically in front of you, the actual art of creating those concepts into, into reality. So you have to, you have to do the individual steps. You have to learn the instrument or you have to learn the technique for painting, or you have to at least just go buy the fucking paint, you know, like at, at the very first step. And so I think that a lot of people view it as something that's just going to happen to them rather than yeah, something yeah. that is happening to them, but also they have to kind of nudge it out of themselves it's not something that just kind of like plops out one day. You have to tease it out. You got to work it like like carving a stone. 100%. I, I mean, it's like people, monks go and fucking spend their entire fucking lives just like meditating and discipline uh, to 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 achieve something. Right. It's not it's not like a, like it. You, you, you don't just you don't just suddenly channel, uh, uh, you know, strong energy through yourself without kind of that disciplined practice of, right. you know, meditating on stuff. And what were you, what were you about to say? I, I just, I was thinking it's like, it's just a kind of social thing. Like I remember like just embarrassing moments from my life where I like tried to do something socially and it didn't oh, yeah. work. And it's Terrifying. Just like, well, you feel terrible about that. But then, yeah. it, you know, in retrospect, it's like, if you can understand what you did wrong, mm-hmm. then it's, it's actually, there's a kind of weird miraculous forgiveness that descends on you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Actually, I think that people are also like very forgiving in kind of contrast to like what they might believe about themselves, um, because most people will just kind of like almost act according to the logic of the situation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even if you're like a total like fucking social retard uh, at one point in your life, uh, and you like really like fail with a certain group of people or whatever and you're ashamed to show your face if you just like learn some social skills and come back and just be normal and cool then they'll like you know what i mean like people actually just mm-hmm. respond to what's before them in the moment absolutely i think people don't realize just how malleable the sort of social world is in that sense yeah yeah people get uh people are on this weird like mindset where you already want to be the expert, right? Like experts kind of, you know, drive all of our discourse and all of our knowledge and everything. And so you don't want to try to do something new or have an opinion on anything or play a new instrument or do whatever, because you're afraid that you're going to show that you're not an expert. You're not the person that has the credentials. You're You're out of that class of like magi, you know, you're not one of them. And everyone wants to secretly be that. And so there's this very difficult thing where people want to already have mastered something that they've never picked up. Um, and that's what keeps them from ever actually picking up the thing in the first place, whether that's, you know, social interactions, relationships, dating, uh, creation, art, et cetera, any of it. I yeah. think that that's a big, a big barrier there. Because well, I, 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 Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Well, I was just going to say, if you're, it's like if you're the expert at that, you know, this or that thing, and then you do badly at it, it's like, then you've kind of, you've kind of become like a hypocrite, mm-hmm. right? You know, and that's like the one thing. I think this is like the, you know, the last psychiatrist was the guy who made this point, but it's sort of like if you have the society where um, there are no, you know, there are more or less no agreed upon values, or there's this kind of basic idea that like everybody has to you know d- 
decide what they believe and at the same time permit and tolerate everybody else's beliefs, right? Mm -hmm. Then, you know, his point was, I think that, you know, the one thing that becomes so socially unacceptable is like hypocrisy, right? right? Because it's like, it's the way that you can kind of criticize somebody without being held to the standard you're criticizing them by. (laughs) Right? right, because it's you because you're saying you're failing to live up to your standard, so your standard doesn't apply to me, so I don't have to be judged by those t- those criteria. But this is the criteria that you're setting for yourself, and you're failing to uphold it. And uh, I mean, this is the kind of thing that you see, we see people like throwing at like Christians or whatever as well. Yeah, you know, oh, that's the constant like, thing. Yeah, yeah, but it's kind of like actually, it's more like you know, the average. Christian, for example, is probably somebody who sins all the time, but that's like why they're Christian. That's you know, the, that's, it's, that's like the whole. That's like the whole point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, people and people don't no. fucking understand that at all. I, I think that no. I think that like I think that the whole I think that there's a really simple kind of circuit that happens here when people set out to when people fail to set out to accomplish something when it comes to like, I want to, you know, be a musician or something, which is like, they feel, and maybe this totally doesn't make any sense, but I've thought about this a decent amount. Like they, they, they feel the satisfaction of like what being the type of person to play guitar would feel like. And they go like, oh man, that's cool. Like Slav that plays guitar is like a cool Slav, right? I like that. That's satisfying. That feels good. Um, and then, and then like, they're like, okay, well, like I could, in, I can continue enjoying this if I like actually fucking play guitar. Right. Um, but then, but then they immediately come up with the pain and the death of that person when they need to actually go about, you know, practicing and failing over and over again. And like mm-hmm. Slav that plays guitar dies a thousand deaths when he, you know, sits down and has practices yeah. where he's not very fucking good at the guitar. That's, that's literally what the practice is, is just right. that like torturous process of just yep. like killing that guy over and over again um, to kind of so you can kind of make him real. Like you have mm-hmm. to kind of kill him in the imagination mm-hmm. to like bring him out into the real world, like iteratively. Um, but it's like it's so it's so kind of undignified. <laughs> That's the, totally. the problem with it. Totally really undignified and unglamorous. I, I so think. You, uh, I, I think one of the. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. You go ahead. You go ahead. I was just gonna say, but, but and that's good in a way as well because it helps you have a sense of humor about yourself. Oh, well, one hundred percent. It's humbling, and and I think I think maybe one of the most universal ways that dudes can relate with this is just the the dude that thinks he's a stud, right? That that doesn't want to go and talk to you know, the girl across the room or something because like, because it's a lot easier for it to just live in your mind in the abstract, as opposed to actually having that like rubber meets road moment and experiencing that. And I don't know. I mean, this, this just reminds me of kind of what we were talking about earlier of just like the, the buddy I was talking about of like, you know, like let yourself experience the heartbreak, you know, don't outsource that to somebody. What are you doing? Like, this is gold. This is, no, ex- exactly. Like, your life experience, basically. Yeah, and and I think like I think that you had said earlier about like platitudes that are kind of pushed by a lot of older people that just don't even really need to experience this stuff anymore, right? And it's like yeah. don't don't like like 
the suffering you're having right now is like a fucking commodity. It's like mm-hmm. gold, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, you're, yeah. you're fucking throwing it away so that some like post-sexual fucking credentialed <laughs> loser can just like can just over intellectualize it and sap all the art from it and you're robbing yourself of your youth by doing that stop paying a fucking therapist to rob you of your youth if you're going through a tough breakup unless unless you're literally schizophrenic that's that's the that's the qualification everyone always needs to make when they're doing this shit is like, <laughs> except for the people that'll you know fucking eat their hand if they don't go to therapy or something <laughs> and it's like okay anyway so just oh, yeah no no i mean I, I was just gonna i was just gonna add my you know usual irritating legalistic clarification being like yeah you know it's like f- fine sometimes it's just not like that but you're right it, it's just about like being kind of um just like experiencing things appropriately mm-hmm. it's like really a, like i think that's the thing that is easy to forget is that if somebody breaks up with you that's like heartbreaking mm-hmm. and it's meant to be it's actually appropriately you know unpleasant and you're supposed <laughs> to experience yeah. it too you're and not like run it. away from it or try to rationalize it or whatever you're supposed to feel it through and then you know learn whatever lessons you need to learn about yourself about the way you engage in that relationship about how you what you want out of a partner going forward etc and, and it's, it's like, like with everything deepens your sense of the human experience yeah like mm-hmm. uh you know yeah suffering is like uh god's chisel that kind of chisels away at the hulk of what your your essence is until you finally get down into kind of your your little your actual core being like your final product. And you have to go out there and put yourself out and, you know, be vulnerable in front of other people, whether that be in intimate relationships, whether that be at, you know, uh, in conversations on a day-to-day basis or whatever, in order to have those meaningful experiences, in order to actually, you know, kind of chip away at what this like shell is that keeps us from actually being, um, you know, actualized human beings. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the other the nice thing about that, though, is when you realize that it's like, you know, th- like the only way to get through is through, you know, accepting that suffering, mm-hmm. then there really is like no point in postponing it anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a certain just... piece in it. Yeah, there is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so everyone go out there and take risks, dude. Try some new shit. Stop thinking you're an expert. Stop being afraid to not be an expert. There's literally there's 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 literally a reason why like why like you walk into any like church, well sorry any Catholic church and there's a fucking and and Jesus is like on the cross central to the entire thing. There's like a there's like a symbolic right gravity to that, and it's not even rocket science. But I feel like this is a perfect fucking place to end. And I even got to plug catholicism in the end it's like i'm like going through the checklist now (laughs) yeah i knew it was coming about eight minutes ago when you brought it up in the first place (laughs) (laughs) oh let's go all right well here here um because we have to have good form here you already gave the plug but why don't you do it one more time because i feel like at the end of an episode oh yeah just to the end it's good plug all your shit too like your your social media your sub stack all all this kind of stuff uh oh the sub stack's pretty dead um I think that was called Candrona Rays. So if anybody wants to look that up, they're, they're welcome to. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at, at P 
Yeek. That's like at Papa. And then I don't know what the Y one is, but Y E E R K. Um, and my podcast is Bistro Californium. Um, and you can find that on Patreon, uh, on iTunes and Google podcasts. I'm going to get it on Spotify, um, imminently. So stay tuned for that. If you, if you like, I don't know when this again, when this will be out, but I'm about to like switch podcast providers or like hosts or whatever. Mm -hmm. So if you look for it on iTunes and it's not there, just wait a few days. Um, there might be like a little gap where it's not up. But otherwise, it's on Patreon. My last episode was on uh, Ezra Pound's Cathay, his Chinese translations with uh, Nick Dollinger of the Beautiful Toilet podcast. Uh, and that, that was like a really, really cool episode. Um, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff on there. It's very eclectic. So check it out. Bistro Californium. Beautiful. Beautiful. All right. Well, let's cut it here. Sweet. Yeah, Yerk, we really appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing your time with us today. I think we had a good conversation and definitely look forward to uh, many more in the future. Absolutely, man. Thanks Thanks for having me on, guys. It was, uh, it was a blast. And that concludes this week's episode of These People Are Sick. Thank you for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, you could head over to our Patreon page, which is the home for bonus content, extra episodes, video content, access to our Discord, and more. That's patreon.com slash these people are sick, and we hope to see you over there.